are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I've told you before that I was raised in a small Kentucky town. I remember being out with my dad, maybe at a hardware store or a builder supply. My dad was a, a builder. And uh, somebody would say, so how, how are y'all doing? Because in Kentucky, we said, y'all. And I remember a common response of my dad was, oh, we're just trying to get by. How are y'all doing? When you think about it, it wasn't a real lofty goal, was it? <laughs> just trying to get by. I think that, however, is the way that we sometimes think. We're just trying to get through what we're going through. We're just trying to survive. And so I think, just to be frank with you, when it comes to COVID-19, that's where I'm living these days. I struggle with it. I believed for a long time that when we got to today, September the 12th, that everybody would be back to in-person church, but that's just not where we are yet. And we just got so many people that are still watching online, and we miss you. We're looking forward to when we all can be together today. But I feel like we just kind of get this attitude of we just got to get through it, right? Or I think when we think about this divisive political climate that we live in, aren't you tired? And do you ever have the idea that we just got to somehow get through this? If we can just kind of hunker down, you know, and if we can just get through it somehow, we, we just want to survive. Frankly, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I sometimes feel that way about what I would call a lack of tolerance for Christian faith and values. The world has changed. Something has shifted. I no longer feel what I used to feel in the nation that I live in. And honestly, sometimes I'm tempted just to say, you know what? I'm just going to try my very best just to, just to get by. If we can just, you know, just, just get through this. If we can just survive it, then one day we'll leave this world and we'll go to heaven and all is peace forevermore on that blessed golden shore. The only problem with that kind of thinking is that that's not God's will for us. God doesn't expect his people to survive. God expects his people to thrive. Do you remember in the New Testament, the apostle Paul said, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And Jesus said, yeah, you're going to have problems in this world, but I want you to take heart because I've overcome the world. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Here's what I want to say to you today. It's really important to me also. God gives his people grace to thrive when everything around them says, just try to survive. See, God wants you and me to thrive. When everything around us is saying, just do your best to survive. We have an enemy, the devil. And he says to us, oh no, I want you to thrive. <laughs> just like God does. In fact, as soon as you get through this tight spot that you're in and your work situation, then you can thrive. Or just as soon as you get beyond this sickness, this illness that you're dealing with, then, then you can thrive. Or just as soon as you get beyond this financial struggle that you find yourself in, when you get beyond that, then you can thrive. When everything gets worked out financially, then you can thrive. Or after you work through this family crisis that you guys are, are going through, then, then you can thrive. But when I open my Bible to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel... 
that's not a story that I read. I read about a man whose name is Daniel, who is in a tight spot in his life. There is nothing about his situation that is conducive to thriving. Nothing. He's been torn from his home and his family. He's been taken as a hostage. He's carted off to another country. He's been bound as a prisoner. And there is nothing about Daniel's situation that says, Daniel, the course is set for you. You're on target to thrive. No, no. Daniel is in a tough place. But yet, he thrives. And so, I want you to open your Bible with me to Daniel chapter 1, okay? I'm going to start reading with verse 1. We'll read that entire, pretty short chapter, Daniel chapter 1. One of the struggles in the story is that we're going to want to make Daniel the hero. But the truth is, Daniel's God was the hero. If you ask me, was Daniel great? My response would be, Daniel's God is great. And it's the same God that you serve. And the same God that caused Daniel to thrive, I believe wants to cause you to thrive in this life. So, let's dig in. You ready? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. You remember a few weeks ago, Solomon messed up. The nation of Israel is now torn in two. You've got the northern half that's Israel and the southern part that's Judah. Jehoiakim is king of Judah. He does evil in the eyes of God. He's not a good king. He doesn't follow God. In the third year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, this is a pagan king, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. You're going to want to remember that. God did something. This was God's initiative. God was at work. Along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. And he put in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Now, get the qualifications. you got to lean here in and listen closely. You ready? Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve the king's palace. If it wasn't for this bad hip, I think I would check all the boxes. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. You're going to talk like a Babylonian, and you're going to think like a Babylonian. And you're going to have a name of a Babylonian. The king assigned them a daily amount of food, of wine from the king's table. You're also going to eat like a Babylonian. Basically, it's brainwashing. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Now, these names honored their God. He's going to give them names that honor their gods, okay? To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Meshach, to Mishael rather, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. When your mother told you the story when you were little, she would say, and that's at bedtime, she would say, and that's the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go, right? So that's the story. 
But Daniel resolved, that was a really bad dad joke. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. First service were slapping their legs. They were laughing so hard at that one. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God has caused the official, wait a minute, am I reading this again? God caused Jehoiakim to be delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, and now God is doing something else. God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the King who has assigned to your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And so Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Could we try this? Could we just do it for 10 days? Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. What do you think happened? Did they survive or thrive? At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. They thrived. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave, I think I'm seeing it again. God is at work again. God is on the move. Do you see what God's doing? God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, remember three years, the chief official presents them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better. They thrived than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. He was probably a young man when he was taken captive. He's probably in his 70s here. Four kings later. He's the prime minister of a foreign country. Babylonia. It's been quite a weekend, hasn't it? The anniversary of 9-11, it's had my attention. I find myself, if I get a few minutes, flipping on a television, pulling up something online to read about it. I want to remember like you want to remember. And I think we need to remember. It's crazy when you think about it. People from another country of another religion with values other than ours coming onto our soil. They came to our cities. They got on our airliners and they hijacked them and they used them as missiles and they threw them into buildings like the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and intended one for the Capitol without which a heroic effort by the passengers would have happened. I remember one reporter, an affiliate in New York, early that morning said, it appears that the United States of America is under siege. We were being attacked. Let me give you another example. This is much more recent, but not as close to home. It's Afghanistan. 
They had a government. They had a military. They had a president. But as U.S. troops began to leave, the Taliban begins to go and invade. Laying siege on city after city. Their goal was to take all 34 provinces and rule the nation of Afghanistan. And that's what they've done. The reason I give you the examples is because this is something that happened 2,600 years ago. It's words that have been laying on paper for a long, long time. And I think if we're not careful, those words don't become real to us. It's just history. But the people in Jerusalem were real people with real families and real kids and real jobs. They got up in the morning and washed their face like you and I do and started on their day. Nebuchadnezzar is on a military campaign. He is seizing city after city. And now his sights are set on Jerusalem. And his army storms into town one day. And they will never be the same again. He takes some things away with him. Before he sets up a puppet king in government. He takes articles from the temple of God. Now, you're interested in this. I promise you. Here's, here's the thinking of the Middle Eastern world and the way military campaigns worked. If we take articles out of the temple of your God and we take them and we put them in the temple of our God, it leaves no doubt whatsoever that our God is stronger than your God. And your God is weak and has fallen. Not only did they take articles out of the temple, but they also took the prize of all of Judah. The youngest, the brightest, the best, the ones of royal blood and nobility. Daniel's among them. They take them hostage. And they begin the brainwashing process. They haul them off to Babylon. They put them in a different culture. We're going to give you a new name. Your old name was a testimony to your God. Your new name is a testimony to our God. We're going to give you a new language to speak. We're going to teach you how to speak like us. We're going to make you study for three years Babylonian literature. You're going to think like us. We're going to set you at the king's table. You're going to eat like us. So just follow me for a minute here, okay? If you have a Babylonian name and you speak the Babylonian language and you think like the Babylonians and you eat like the Babylonians, you're with me? We're going to make Babylonians out of you boys. And then we're going to put you in the king's service. Can you imagine, can you imagine if someone that you loved, a family member of yours, was taken hostage? What do you think Daniel's mother felt when she heard the words, they took Daniel? They bound him. Weeks and weeks of journey from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's imprisoned. He's made a hostage. He no longer thinks for himself. In their minds, you're going to think like us. You're going to become one of us. You're going to serve the king. I think we would be fooling ourselves to assume that there wasn't a day in, Dave, in rather Daniel's life, in the life of those other young men, where they didn't say, God... I don't understand it, God. Why? 
why, why did this have to happen? I, I, don't, I don't get it, God. Why? Why? You know? I mean, surely you could have saved your city. It's your city, God. It's Jerusalem. Surely you could have saved us. Over the years that I've been a pastor, I've watched a lot of people ask that question. When tragedy has come into their lives, into their homes, God, was there no way that you could have stopped this from happening? I mean, I just don't understand why, God. You, you understand that when life falls apart, we, we are tempted to only think about survival. I, I'll make it quick, but I remember one day going to a hospital. Adam was only 14, and he was killed, hit by a car, riding his bicycle. He attended the church that I pastored. I get to the hospital. His parents are there. His father is beside himself, understandably, and he begins just to rattle to me. I, we got to plan a service. His mom's not going to be okay. How am I going to take care of her? What are we going to do? This? I, and I, Bruce, Bruce, just... We can't think about any of that right now. You just got to get through the next few minutes. You understand, when life falls apart, we can only think about survival. But listen, God doesn't want to leave us there. And God wants to move us from surviving to thriving, ultimately. No matter what your situation is today, God wants you to move you ultimately from, from, from surviving to thriving. Now, I don't have three quick and easy steps, and if you will follow these, you will move in the next 30 days from, you know, survival to thriving. But, but there is great truth in God's Word, and there are great lessons as we observe Daniel's life that can help us move from surviving to thriving. Here's number one. You ready? Daniel believed God was in control. We'll take a little trip. Here we go. Look at those first two verses. Nebuchadnezzar came. Nebuchadnezzar besieged. Nebuchadnezzar carried off. Looks like to me Nebuchadnezzar's in control. Don't be deceived. Daniel wasn't. Daniel said, and he writes, oh no, God was in control. God delivered Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. You, you might say, well, time out. I don't get this. I mean, isn't Judah God's people? Isn't Jerusalem God's city? Why would God do that? So let me just give you a little history. God says to the nation of Israel, hey, I, I'm your God, you know, I want to be your God. I want, I want all of you to be my people. And, and, and not only that, I am going to bless the whole world through you guys. But what does Israel do? They rebel against God. They follow other gods. They sin like crazy. And God sends prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them. And they mistreat the prophets. And finally God says, okay, I have protected you from your enemies, but I cannot, will not continue to do it. If you don't turn around, you're going to face destruction. And they continued to ignore God, and so God delivered them into the hands 
of Nebuchadnezzar. See, God is in control. God caused the officials to show favor to Daniel. Did you hear it when I read the scripture? God caused Daniel and his friends to grow in understanding and wisdom. God was at work in all of it. And it brings us to this theological concept that is hard sometimes to grasp. And that is simply this, that God is sovereign. God is in control. God rules over the rulers of the world. It's a major theme we'll see as we move through the book. And every time we say that, we all ask ourselves the question, well, if God is in control, then why did these really bad things happen to these really good people? If God's in control, why did someone I love leave this world? If God's in control, then why did this bad thing happen to this person that I care about? If God's in control, then why did this bad thing happen to me? And the answer that I have for you is I don't know. I've told you before and I'll tell you again that I will never try to explain away the mysteries of God. There's things I don't know. If you don't believe that God is sovereign, then you have another option for your belief system, and that is the belief of dualism. The belief of dualism would say that there are two equal powers, good and evil, and they are balanced in their abilities. But the God that I read about in the book of Daniel and throughout the Bible is that God has no equal and that God is all-powerful, and God is sovereign. Do you believe that God is sovereign? And so I would never throw rocks from here. I'm saying it out of love, okay? But if you really believe that God is sovereign, then maybe you don't need to wring your hands so much about politics. If God truly rules over the rulers of the world, then maybe you don't have to stay so uptight about the news channels. You might even just kind of let a lot of that go. If you really believe God is sovereign, then maybe you don't need to just be so uptight about the situation that you're going through right now. Maybe you should just take in a deep breath and just... Let it out and just say, God, you're, you're in control. Do you know why Daniel was able to thrive? It's because he believed that God had the whole world in his hands. Do you believe that? So, the second thing is Daniel remained true to the God, rather to his God, in an ungodly culture. He remained true to God in an ungodly culture. Let, let me just tell you something, okay? If, if you're moving through life right now and you want to thrive, okay, and you feel like something's holding you back, if, if, if you cannot get to this place, you, you're not going to thrive. 
You're just not going to. I'm just telling you. You can't live your life in opposition to God and expect to soar in life. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You know, I don't like, I don't like the phrase. In fact, I, I dislike it. Post-Christianity, a term in reality. Are we living in post-Christianity? Well, what does it mean? Post-Christianity would say, well, Christianity is no longer the dominant religion of a society. So when you think about the United States of America, would you say, no, I, I think Christianity is still the dominant religion. Let's move on. But has gradually assumed values, culture, and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian. Now what do you think? Would you say that the United States of America is beginning to assume values and culture and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian? Yeah, I would too. And so in a way I relate to Daniel. No, no insult to Daniel. But to people in exile, they would say, this is not where we really fit. We're not like everybody here. We don't blend in. We tend to stand out. We don't believe what everybody else believes. We don't practice what everybody else practices. We don't do what everybody else does. We are different. It's like we swim, we swim rather against the current. We're always going upstream. We stand out. And I think that's the testimony of every true follower of Jesus in this world. And we get looks, and we get comments, and we say, it's okay, but I'm not going to conform to the patterns of this world. I'm not going to be squeezed into the mold of culture. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's where Daniel lived. He said, I'm not going to defile myself. We don't really know for sure what about the king's food would defile him. It's not clear in the scripture. But the point is that Daniel says, I'm going to remain faithful to God. See, this is where the enemy wants to chip away. Just eat the food, for heaven's sakes. Take a bite. Everybody else is eating the food. Look around. Culture's changed. Look at your world today. Look how it's changed. Just get in line, would you? Bottom line. When cultural values collide with Scripture, Scripture must win. What? When cultural values collide with Scripture, Scripture must win. Last one. Daniel placed his life in God's hands. It seems odd in a sense to say it that way because his life is in God's hands. It's really a combination of the two in a sense had a buddy. His name was Charlie. He took care of his wife. She had dementia. I would go see him once in a while. This is years ago. One day his daughter called. Charlie talked to you? No. Got back from the doctor yesterday. Diagnosed cancer. It's not good. Go over to Charlie's house. Charlie, how you doing? You know what he said to me? Old man in his 80s, white hair. Wise, wise man. Rick, I'm surprised at you. <laughs> He says, my life has always been in God's hands. That diagnosis yesterday morning didn't change anything. My life has been in God's hands since I was born into this world. Nothing's changed. See, Daniel took a risk. Could we do a 10-day thing? 
You know, his buddies are going, Daniel, what if this goes sour, man? Got to be careful here. And Daniel's idea is this. I'm not eating the food. My life is in God's hands. I will not do anything to hinder my relationship with God. It's in God's hands. If you want to thrive, I think there's peace in just saying, I don't have to control things. My life's in God's hands. He decides. Okay, so that's, that's the way I see Daniel, okay? I think it's good stuff. I think you've got to think about it a little bit. I love this right here. Okay, being under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar does not mean being out of the hand of God. <laughs> Let the world throw at it me what it wants. God's got me in his hands. I brought a picture. Important to me to show you the picture. Here it is. You love it? This little boy's name is Samuel. He is three years old. His grandmother and his grandfather, Sonia and Danny White, attend our church. Sonia works here at the office with my wife and I. And his aunt and uncle are Tyler and Dana Joe Stelting. Shout out woohoo to Tyler and Dana Joe. See, I didn't leave you out. That woohoo wasn't big, but it was something, you know. So when he came into this world, he was born, and the doctors knew prior to his arrival that he would have a rare form of skeletal dysplasia. When he arrived, there were a team of doctors waiting for him to come into this world. Samuel has a panel of 20 doctors who give him care. But he has an army of hundreds and hundreds of people who have prayed for him. And my wife and I have been blessed to march in that army. So when you think about Samuel coming into this world, there is nothing about his situation that says, Samuel, you are set to thrive, young man. <laughs> it's like everything is perfect. All you need to do is just live into your destiny. In fact, it was the opposite. The goal was, can Samuel somehow survive? But let me tell you something. Samuel's not about surviving. He's about thriving. If you want to hang out with Samuel, good luck, because he moves at a fast pace. This is the first time that Annette and I got to meet him. Because of COVID, we didn't, we didn't get to actually be in his presence until he was, he was this age. And it was, it was an awesome day when we got to hold him. I love the way he says, Pastor Rick. His grandmother said to him a while back, Samuel, how are you doing today? And he says, I have the joy of the Lord in me. He's only three years old. His grandpa says, he is a blessing unaware because of that joy that is in him. So if you said to his parents, so it's been a rough road, huh? They would say, yeah. So what are you thinking about Samuel's future? You hoping he survives? You hoping he gets by? His parents would say, you got to be out of your mind. No, we're not hoping he gets by. We're hoping Daniel, or rather Samuel, thrives. And if today 
I said to your father, your heavenly father, when you think about your child's future, what are your dreams? What are your hopes, God? You're just hoping they'll get by. You just want to see them survive. And God says, you've got to be nuts. I want the best for my children. I want my children to thrive. I want to pray for you. You want to stand with me? Father, in these moments, there's people in front of me who might say, you've been talking about people going through major things, Rick. I've not been through anything major, but I'm not thriving. I'm just getting by. I want all that God wants for me. I want God's best for me, but I'm not living in it. I'm just getting by. I'm just surviving, but I want to thrive. Father, from the lessons that we learn here today, will you speak to us? Will you teach us? And would you help somebody to take the first step today from simply surviving to thriving? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.